0: Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. My daughter just finished marching band camp, and in their final show, you have to watch uh, all these high schoolers uh, play their instruments and march in step. Now, even to the casual observer, it is easy to see, as everybody is going left, right, left, right, if one person is going right, left, right, left. And uh, that's that's easy to see from the, uh, the observation, but uh, band members notice it too. When they practice a certain way and they practice putting their foot down with the right step at the right time, uh, when they get out of step, it is something that throws them off. It If they're not careful, uh, one out of step marching band student can throw off the whole formation, can even throw off the music. And so there's this little technique that marching band people use to get back in step. At, you, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but they have to, they have to, be marching along, and they do a little hop, and that resets their feet opposite of what they were doing. Has anybody ever seen that happen before from a marching band student? Um, it, it's kind of a weird hop, but it does allow them to get back. In step it's the same thing with the rhythm God sets in our life God has this rhythm that he wants us to follow as well how we spend our time what we spend our money on who we spend uh, time uh, helping when somebody's in need what we think about um, all of these things help reveal the rhythms of our heart and whether they are in tempo with God's heart whether our feet are being in step with God's spirit for the casual observer It is obvious if we are in step with God's Spirit or in step with the Spirit of the world. We're studying various questions asked by church members and those outside the church. What does the Bible say about blank? And today, we are studying a question that can easily throw people off their step, their walk with Christ. And then our job, as always, is to seek out what the Scripture says. This is what the Bible says. Reveal it as clearly and as humbly as possible, and then try to do a little hop step in our life to make sure that we are walking in step with the Spirit. Today's question is, can homosexuals serve in church leadership positions? So uh, just like any question that we observe and we go to the scripture for, we all need to have open minds and open Bibles and seek out God's help. So if you wouldn't mind, pray for me that I would reveal what God says clearly and gently and pray for all of us that we would be transformed by what Jesus tells us to do and how he tells us to live. Would you allow me to pray for us before we get started? God, I thank you for... uh, clear scripture. I thank you for a good community of believers that hold me accountable and also um, encourage my faith. Lord, would you allow us today to come before your throne with an open mind, an open Bible, to see exactly how you want us to believe and live. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The question, can homosexuals serve in church leadership positions is actually multi-layered, and I'd like to answer it by uh, breaking it down into three separate questions. Uh, number one, what are the biblical qualifications for church leadership? Number two, how does sin hinder our ability to serve in the church? And number three, is homosexuality a sin? Uh, this is uh, the first question, what are the biblical qualifications for church leadership? And there's two items here that I'd like us to write down. If you take notes, write down these two items, uh, Scripture and reputation. These are the two qualifications that we find in in the Bible to serve in the church in a leadership position. Uh, scripture is uh, our number one authority for both faith and practice. Faith means what we believe. And when we come to a correct understanding of the scripture by reading it with our, by ourselves or in community, by memorizing it, meditating it, and obeying it, we come to a right faith. We come to a right belief system, a right worldview. And we can get help in uh, trying to achieve this right worldview, understanding what God wants us to understand. Um, when we uh, seek out help and community, and by looking at uh, centuries of how the church has read, meditated, and applied what the Scripture says. As a church right now here in Wilmington, Ohio, we believe the Bible in its original language was without any error and was the Word of God to us. Now that we have translations from those original letters, to us, we believe that 100% of the message of God's word is still accurate, 100% accurate, and still very clear. God wants to bring about peace, restoration, hope, and life through His Son Jesus Christ. We also believe that our translations are 99% accurate in the word transference um, and the, the language that they translate from original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic into modern day English. There are no inaccuracies, though, in any of our copies that take away from the clear message of God's plan to work salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, so the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. The Bible tells us also what sin is, what the consequence of unrepentant sin is, and what the goal of holy living looks like. So if you want to be a Christian leader in any church, you need to find out what the Bible says on how you should believe. But it's also how we should practice those beliefs. Our Bible is the number one authority for our faith and practice. Practice is how we act. When correctly understood, the Bible gives us a command. We consider it a command from God, and we obey it. In both the Old and New Testament, God's moral commands remain unchanged. So a biblical leader, first of all, must use the Scripture for both faith, belief, and practice, our actions. And as we obey the Scripture and learn what it says, what we'll do is we'll develop over time a reputation for being a godly person. This is the second part of being a biblical leader in the church. Paul tells Timothy, a young preacher, he says, leaders, overseers, are supposed to be above reproach. What that means is when you look at somebody with a good reputation, someone above reproach, if anybody brings an accusation against them, you'd be shocked, surprised, and want to see the evidence that they were living outside of the habit that they had been currently living. It's a goal for anybody who claims to be a Christ follower, to live a life above reproach. Later, Paul says, deacons must likewise be dignified. Women must likewise be dignified. Children must obey their parents. The goal of every Christian is to live a life above reproach, practicing what we believe and are taught from the Bible, developing a reputation so that both Christians and non-Christians see that you are trying to obey God. We are all trying, as Christians, we are trying to live toward the goal of thinking and speaking and acting like Jesus Christ. So the opposite is also true. If a leader sets up camp in sin, God says, hey, this is sin, this is not where we should live, and practices sin, and God says, hey, this is something you shouldn't do, and defends sin as right, saying God is wrong and I am right, that person would be disqualified from biblical leadership. They also might be disqualified from a church community of believers. Um, because what they're, what a person does when they say that, they say, hey, I see what the Bible says, but I disagree with it, so I'm going to disagree. What we would say is they're disagreeing with God. In the church world, that's called heresy. I like how the Greek Orthodoxy church uh, teaches about heresy. Uh, what Greek Orthodoxy say is if somebody teaches a false teaching or leads somebody away from the Bible, we cannot condemn them to hell but we can say the person teaching the heresy and the people who believe the heresy and practice the heresy are in danger of going to hell because it leads somebody further and further away from Jesus so the real dif- so there's no real difference right now between a person seeking a leadership position in the church and just any christian we are all seeking to have the bible be our faith our sole authority for faith and practice, and we're all to develop a reputation as a godly, Christ-following person. The big difference between biblical leadership and just every Christian is the ability to teach. Paul says, The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The biggest difference between Christian leadership and every other Christian is the ability to teach others. One preacher reminded me recently that non-Christians are not going to accept this teaching. They scoff at this. The nominal Christian isn't going to accept this teaching either because it's too strict. But if you really want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are to accept it. We are called to be distinct from the culture around us, which is why we claim the Bible tells us what to do. You have a, and if you have a reputation of one who knows the scripture and obeys the scripture and is in step with the tempo that Jesus sets up, then you are lining yourself up to serve effectively in God's kingdom. Who do you know that has a reputation for holy living? I got to tell you, I work with um, a staff and uh, of, of paid ministers and an eldership of volunteer shepherds over our church, and they have an outstanding reputation of some of people who seek out God's goal for our lives, a belief system from the Scripture that defines their faith and practice. I trust any of our elders and any of our staff completely to honor God. I don't think any of our elders or any of our staff are perfect. I'm not perfect. But what our elders and staff do is they seek out God's will, and if someone confronts them with sin, they are willing to say, you know what, you're right. I need to change this about my life. They've developed this reputation over years and years and years of practicing what God says to do. Who do you know? that has a reputation for living for Christ. That's the person you need to go to when you come to a hard part in Scripture that you can't understand or a part that you need to work through. And it's even the person you need to go to when you are battling between what God tells you to do and your own desires. You need to go to that person that you trust that has developed that reputation of godly leader and confess to them and allow them to help you grow and take your next best step. But if you want to be a Christian leader, you have to know Scripture, for faith and practice, and you have to develop a reputation as a godly follower. The second question follows up. So if we're not developing our faith and practice from Scripture, and we're not developing a reputation as a God follower, then we're probably uh, living in sin or doing a lifestyle of sin that goes counter to what God says. So the next question is, how does sin hinder my ability to serve? It does so in two ways. It quenches the Spirit, and it may disqualify us completely from service. Paul mentions in a a letter that he wrote to uh, two different churches, do not quench the Spirit. He says again in another letter, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We grieve the Holy Spirit and weaken our ability to hear God and understand what He tells us to do when we pursue sin instead of holy, righteous living. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things but when we sin what we're doing is we're turning ourselves by our actions away from God the prophet Isaiah says your iniquities have separated you from God your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear when we are in sin or living in sin or pursuing sin we are exchanging God's wisdom the things of his world with our wisdom and the things of our world I'm going to be using a, a variety of Scriptures today, but one of the main passages I'll be using is from Romans chapter 1. Would you turn there in Romans chapter 1 right now and look at verse 21? This also explains the idea that there's an exchange that happens when we don't pursue God. When we pursue our own selfish desires or we pursue sin, there's an exchange that happens and it's by degrees. It doesn't happen all at once. Nobody wakes up on uh, one day from the next and just says out of the blue, today I'm not going to follow God anymore. What happens is we lead a lifestyle that takes us further and further and further away from God and we've exchanged God for our own selfish desires until eventually we're just following ourselves. And this is the exchange that Paul lays out in an argument in chapter 1 of his letters to the church at Rome. Read verse 21 with me. I'll read it out loud. You just read it to yourself. Here's what verse 21 says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we rebel against God, our thinking becomes dumb. Our spiritual insight is dimmed. Can you imagine walking around thinking you are living right, and thinking right, and actually living as a fool? What would happen if a group of fools got together and tried to make decisions? Insert your favorite Democrat or Republican joke here. That's the problem with futile thinking and having our heart, foolish hearts darkens. We don't know that we're living on a path that leads to death or destruction or despair. Sin not only turns us away from God, but it also makes us unable to hear Him and He feels further away from us. And it makes us rely on our own faulty wisdom, but sin also hurts relationship with others too. Uh, I've often... Uh, like to talk about this vertical relationship we have with God and a horizontal relationship we have with others. But when we stop pursuing God and we hurt this relationship, we end up hurting this relationship with all the people around us as well. Sinning, it stems from this idea that we are thinking only of ourselves and we have only desires that would help us. Last week when we talked about righteousness and unrighteousness from the Bible, we talked about how righteousness disadvantages ourselves to give advantage to somebody else and unrighteousness, unholy living, advantages ourself at the disadvantage of someone else. That's where sin basis is. And that's how Scripture defines what's happening in our lives when we do sin. There's an exchange that takes place. Uh, continue on in verse 22 of Romans chapter 1. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. When we sin and pursue sin, we're going to exchange God for idols and truth for lies. But God gives us a way to do a little hop step and get back in rhythm with His commands. He gives us a way to make our minds right and to revive our thinking. He gives us a way to restore relationship. And this is an examination. When we use the Scripture to examine ourselves, we hold it up like a mirror and we can tell whether we are obeying it or disobeying it. That's where leaders live. They allow the Scripture to examine their own lives, and they allow other people to use the Scripture to examine their own lives. This is what all Christians should do. And when we encounter what the Bible says, and somebody says, hey, are you living this way? We should be humble enough to do a little hop step and get back in step with what that Word says. God gives us this way to do the hop step, and He calls it repentance. Repent. Both the Old and New Testament stress the importance of repentance. The prophet Ezekiel says, Repent and turn from your transgressions. John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, Repent and believe in the gospel. Peter says, Repent and be baptized. Earlier today, P.J. Cochran, uh, one of our students, was baptized into Jesus Christ. Paul says in Acts 17, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Scripture is so forceful about repentance, it gives the very clear indication that without repentance, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You will not receive eternal life. Repentance is rare, though. True repentance, when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, involves three changes in our thinking. We have to change the way we think about ourselves, we have to change the way we think about sin, and we have to change the way we think about God. When we repent, what we are doing is we are changing the way we think about ourselves and we're telling God, God, I am no longer the king of my life, but I want you to be the king of my life. And when we change the way we think about sin, we understand that every single command of God is valuable to us. And when we're living outside of that, it doesn't matter how small a mistake we make, that mistake can separate us from God's will, separate us from God's presence and separate us from a relationship with God. And so we no longer think that sin is a small, trivial matter, but we want to kill it and drive it out of our lives. And we ask God, help me get rid of this so I can live for you. And finally, we think differently about God. We change the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about uh, sin, and the way we think about God. We turn to God and we say, God, I know that you have my best interest in mind. I know that you want what is best for me and that you want me to be in a holy relationship with you. And I trust you. God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin in our place, to take on the curse that we deserve. And Jesus Christ dies on the cross to experience a death that we should experience as punishment for our sin, but He does it to give us an exchange. The exchange of our sin for His righteousness. And it is during this exchange that we think differently about God and we say, I trust You and I will obey whatever You command me to obey. That's what happens when we have repentance. And this is the call from God to every Christian, whether you are a leader in the church or whether you are just a Christ follower. And God will take away our sin and give us a new lifestyle and a new desire, and He'll even give us new choices. And when we change the way we think about God, we recognize that He is calling us to make that decision and come to repentance right now. He doesn't say, wait till you clean up your act. He doesn't say, wait to experience change. He says, come to me, and then I'll give you the change that you need. And He'll give us a new life in Jesus Christ. And we can follow Him no matter what the cost. When we repent with those thoughts, those three thought changes, God will use the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation inside of us. And He begins to change us from the inside out. But I also think that we could probably see The danger of not having a repentant heart. The danger of being disqualified from serving in the church or maybe even being disqualified from the community of the church. Because when we don't repent, our minds are darkened, we act foolishly, and we're spiritually blind, and we dishonor God. It's here we run into this dilemma The Bible, in both the Old and New Testament, says that everyone is a sinner. John, one of Jesus' best friends, he wrote, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this uh, book of wisdom, and he said, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And in Isaiah, the prophet, he says, we have all become unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. This is why we need the grace of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that God calls us and invites us to come to Him right now and He will give us rest for our souls and peace for our minds. He doesn't want us to get cleaned up before we come to Him. He just wants us to come as we are. But we're to bring our brokenness and our imperfections with the desire to be fixed and changed. And we need to hear about the grace that Jesus offers us when He says, come. We need to hear about when Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And we need to hear the truth that Jesus speaks when He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Church, we have the responsibility to let others know the truth. None of us are okay We all need forgiveness. We all need to be rescued. And Jesus is the one who offers the forgiveness and the rescue. He's the one that buys us out of a lifestyle or a sinful uh, way of living or even actions that don't pursue God. He buys us out. He gives us transformation from the inside and allows us to get in step with God's Spirit. So how do we differentiate? If everybody's a sinner, and sin can disqualify you from leadership, how do we differentiate between the sinners who lead and the sinners who don't lead? Well, that's where we go back to Scripture. When sinners get rid of their sin in their life, repent of the mistake they've made, they get forgiveness. This is where leaders live. When they use the Scripture to examine their lives or allow the church to hold them accountable and use the Scripture to evaluate them, they humbly agree with Scripture, repent, and turn their life around. And they receive forgiveness. Jesus teaches His disciples, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, give him forgiveness. God even tells us what to do if a leader is caught in sin. Paul tells Timothy, those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. They will, this will serve as a strong warning to others. I also think it's a deterrent. Because if you get reprimanded in front of the church today, you might as well be reprimanded in front of the whole world because the internet is watching. If a person reads the Scripture and has a clear understanding of what God commands them to do and not to do, and they have an understanding of what God says is right and what God says is wrong, and they willfully disobey and practice a disobedient lifestyle and defend their disobedient lifestyle as right and say God is wrong, they are disqualified to serve. And you're also in danger of being disqualified of being in this community because you will lead people astray and you will escort them to hell. The Bible's teaching is very clear and very, very, very scary. Persistent, unrepentant sin leads people to hell. Now we come to our final question. Is homosexuality a sin? So we have the biblical qualifications for leadership. We see how sin hinders us and maybe even disqualifies for leadership. And now we answer the question, is homosexuality a sin? Remember, our authority for all decisions of faith and practice is based on God's Word. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says the homosexual lifestyle is a sin. It's condemned in the law of Moses. It's one of the reasons God destroyed the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus reinforces God's design that only a man and woman should engage in sexual intimacy under the guidelines and covenant of marriage. This is what most Christians around the globe believe today, and every Christian believed for the first approximately 1950 years of church history. Homosexuality, no matter what level of commitment or mutual affection, falls under the category of sexual immorality. You can easily make a list of the sexual immoral items that are found in scripture, and often Christians are slandered that we are only known for what we're against. But the reason why Christians stand up for what we against is because things like abortion, euthanasia, and same-sex relations that have been legalized and made legitimate were all considered immoral and illegal less than 50 years ago in our country. And because we take a stand and talk about these things and continue to hold out what is true, speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent when the Bible is silent, we will be labeled hateful and bigoted and out of touch. And i got to tell you, some Christians are hateful and they're bigoted and out of touch. But most of these accusations go past us and actually land on God's Word. All of Scripture repeats the same warning against any sexual immorality. And I can't state it more strongly, and I hope I can state it with gentleness and love. This warning the Bible gives... Sexual sin is never something we can agree to disagree on. And everywhere God teaches that those who practice sexual immorality will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What people really have a problem with when they're told they're living in sin and need to repent is a problem with God and His Word. And those who are in a sinful mind, they will reject God, they will reject the commands of Jesus, and they will also reject God's clear boundaries. And if we as a church tolerate what God says and teaches about sexual immorality, and if we teach that it is okay, then we are helping people move further away from God and maybe escorting them to hell ourselves. Scripture teaches that we should not find our sexual identity apart from Jesus Christ and we should not pursue sexual intimacy that goes against what God teaches, whether that's homosexual sin or heterosexual sin. As Christ followers that use the Bible for their faith and practice, we will continue to stand up and speak for what is right and wrong according to our God. So, last week we spoke up and we stood up and condemned racism. We'll condemn abortion. We'll condemn euthanasia. We'll teach on what God says that is sexual and moral and sexually what is moral. And hopefully, we'll do it as a church with gentleness and love, especially to a confused world. But this is very clear. When anyone rejects God's clear commands, they are exchanging God's glory for an idol And that leads to the other exchange of exchanging God's truth for a lie. And then Paul finishes up this exchange in verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received then themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. There's an exchange that happens when we reject God. We move from God to idols, truth to a lie, and then God finally gives us over to a path where it will lead to death. Kevin DeYoung, Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, nothing in the Bible encourages us to give sex the exalted status that it has in our culture, as if finding our purpose, our identity, and our fulfillment will rest on what we can and cannot do with our private parts. But i got to tell you, for the depraved mind, someone who has exchanged God's truth for a lie, and God has given them over to this thought, everything in the world is identified with what they can do with their private parts. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield earned her Ph.D. from The Ohio State University, then became a tenured professor in the English Department of Women's Studies at Syracuse University. She specialized in queer theory, advised the LGBT student group, and was growing in hate toward what had recently come on her campus known as the Promise Keepers. She says this in her biography, I was 35 years old, called myself a lesbian, and worked as an activist and English professor in New York when I first encountered the words from Romans chapter 1. She said at first she thought it was dangerous hate speech designed to ruin her life, but it was these very words that brought her to a line in the sand and a hole in her heart. She goes on to say that what I called love for my lesbian partner, God called defilement. In Romans chapter 1, she said she she found that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Dr. Butterfield is an example of what happens when we turn over our life to Christ. It was not conversion therapy that changed Dr. Butterfield, but conversion to Jesus Christ. She says the final exchange from God to idol, truth to a lie, and it's the exchange of the ability to make God-honoring decisions to a depraved mind. And she says this, and I quote, The bottom line hit me between the eyes. Homosexuality, whether it feels natural or not, is a sin. God's challenge was clear. Do I accept His verdict of my sin at the cross of Christ, or do I argue with Him? Do I repent even of a sin that doesn't feel like a sin, but normal, not bothering any another kind of soul, kind of life, or do I take up Satan's question to Eve? Did God really say and hurl it back in the face of God? End quote. But Christ did change her. Through the loving kindness of the gospel, told her over an invitation to dinner at a friend's home. She said, and I quote, one day, my heart started to beat to the tempo of the Lord's heart. End quote. When she found Christ, she lost everything. Her job, her friends, her reputation. Everything but her dog, she said. But she gained eternal life in Christ and she said, it's all worth it. She's written three books The the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. She did a follow up uh, book called Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert on sexual identity and union with Christ. And she recently published her third book called Practicing the Gospel Comes with a House Key: Practicing Radical Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post Christian World. I encourage you to get all three of them and read her story and read the arguments that she makes as a Former homosexual, practicing homosexual back who was converted to Jesus Christ. Read what she says about how Freud invented this idea that we identify ourselves by our sexual identity. Read how she says it's a lie that is being taught everywhere and read how she said she was a promoter of that lie until Jesus changed her life. According to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit... And Dr. Butterfield, who would agree, men and women who engage in same-sex behavior, even if they are being true to their own feelings or desires, have suppressed God's truth in unrighteousness. Pastor DeYoung says, homosexual behavior is a sin, not according to who practices it or by what motivation they seek, but because the act itself as a truth-suppressing exchange is contrary to God's good design. So what do we need to do? As Christians, how do we respond? I think there are three things Christians need to do to respond to these these type of questions and to our worldview that is becoming increasingly, in America, anti-Christ. We need to preach Christ, we need to teach the Bible, and we need to encourage other believers. Number one, we need to preach Christ. As Christ followers, we must believe, teach, and obey the command to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. We must hold out the truth that the Bible teaches that only when we are willing to lose our life and our desires will we find it in Jesus Christ. And Jesus promises that when we turn to Him, He will allow us to be spiritually born again a different way. Through grace. And that same grace that helps us say yes to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will allow us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Number two, we need to teach the Bible. As Christ followers, we can respect differing opinions. We can treat people with civility who are our our opponents. But we must not ever agree that every behavior is acceptable to God or to us. We will teach ourselves and each other how to be in step with the rhythms and the beat of God's heart, and we do that by revealing what the Bible says and then obeying it. We do that as a church when you hold our leadership team and each other accountable to what the Bible says. Are you doing what it says? We must teach that all Christ followers, that resisting sexual desire is a part of discipleship for every Christian, No matter our marital status, no matter the kinds of attraction we experience, desire must never be given priority over obedience. Intense longings does not turn simple wrongs into civil rights. Or to put it another way, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So we need to preach Christ and teach the Bible. And finally, we need to encourage believers in identity, forgiveness, patience, and love. We encourage believers... By teaching, our identity is not based on our sexuality or sexual expression, but on our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us purpose and meaning. We need to encourage believers by offering forgiveness. We extend as a church forgiveness to anyone who repents. It doesn't matter whether you're repenting of a homosexual or heterosexual sin. It doesn't matter if you're repenting from pride or greed or lust or even from being self-righteous. If you are turning to God, we offer forgiveness we're also going to encourage each other with patience if you struggle and fail in a sin and have a setback and you will we offer the same patience Christ gives to each of us all of us will have setbacks in our sin but Jesus continually says come to me and finally we will encourage each other with love. We'll encourage each other with identity, forgiveness, patience, and love. But here's how we love each other. We teach what the Bible says. We point out behaviors that dishonor God, and we point out behaviors that honor God. We practice church membership, and then within that membership, we hold each other accountable and practice church discipline. We're going to love you if you decide to set up camp in sin, defend sin as right, and practice sin. We're going to love you by asking you to leave our community because we want your soul to be saved. We're also going to love by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves and to others. We're going to practice living holy lives where we do the one another's that are commanded in Scripture. Love one another, forgive one another, bear each other's burdens. And most of all, we will love by worshiping Jesus Christ above all things. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org donate.